Uh, yeah, that won't do. Uh, how about this one? Um, no. I'll tell you what, I'll just start the podcast. Hello, welcome back to Andrew Culture's podcast. It may not surprise you to know my name is Andrew Culture, and therefore this is my podcast. Now, if you've heard the podcast before, you'll know that I like to gather interesting people around me, kind of people I know, um, people I've worked with quite often, and people I think have made interesting and possibly quite brave decisions with their lives. If you've not heard this podcast before, you needn't worry. This isn't a heavy one. It tends to be tends to be fairly light-hearted, but I, I just like I like finding people who have done things that other people perhaps wouldn't have the balls to, to be honest. And um, I have with me here today uh, Mr. Michael Perry, who I think I've known you, I don't know, two or three years? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and we've, we've kind of worked yeah. together kind of on and off for, for quite a long time. So, Mr. Michael Perry, would you like to give yourself a very brief introduction? Of course. You need to give my pseudonym too, which is Mr. Plant Geek. That, that's, it's a pretty big fail of mine. Because yeah. it kind of, <laughs> no worries. When I say we've worked together, I've worked on Mar- on Michael's marketing. So yeah, I, God, that's off brand of me. Terrible. Anyway, you carry on. Ah, no worries. Um, so what do I do? What what did I do? Do you want the whole story, or just want to preface? <laughs> Tell us what you've done in. Actually, you can't even say the last few months because mm. that's been it's been unusual times. Mm. If you bumped into someone in an elevator and had to give them an elevator pitch, okay, of what that's you really do, good. That's a really good way of putting it. Okay, so um, my brand is Mr. Plant Geek, and this is all about putting across plants, horticulture, gardening to a really mixed demographic in the simplest and most fun way. So I do that by lectures, demos, workshops, anywhere in Europe, anywhere in the world. Also do various live TV, bit of product development, which is where a lot of my heritage is, following my career with Thompson & Morgan. And if you Google me, you'll find all sorts of crazy pictures, maybe a few naked calendar pictures, but more importantly, you'll see pictures of some of the plants that I've introduced, such as the egg and chips plant and the fuchsia berry, and we took those onto TV shows as well. So I think a nice rounded kind of experience. Are we at the top floor yet? I think you can tell, I think <laughs> listeners will be able to tell that, that you are an experienced broadcaster and speaker with that. My kind of stumbling start, but okay, well, let, let's quickly kind of trip through your journey here because... Mm-hmm. I know that you used to work at Thompson & Morgan with my with my friend Sue. Um, where, where were you before then? How, I tell before you what, let's go... Then, let's go school. <laughs> well, school. Okay, let's start there. Yeah. So okay. some of the people I've spoken to didn't get on with school. Some of them loved school. Mm-hmm. How, how was your school experience? Uh, have you ever seen the film Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion? I thought you were going to say St. Trinian's. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Do you know that? No. No? Okay. That's the sort of film that really sums up my school experience like it wasn't the best I certainly wasn't a popular kid you know kind of bullied for various things kind of ostracized for various things and didn't really enjoy it day to day but somehow with me and my best friend we had a really nice time but just kind of on the sidelines just in our own little world Mm. and if you watch that film you'll see exactly the same story like following through that film so yeah I would say it was kind of a, a real school period of kind of lying low not really rising above the parapet kind of Doing fairly well with A's and B's, I would say. That's pretty good, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, particularly like geography. Um, what else? 
Gardening? <laughs> no, well, gardening was the thing I was keeping secret from my school Keep, friends. Keeping secret? Yeah, because in those days, it wasn't cool to love plants. It was something you would potentially be bullied for, you know, and the connotations of then, you know, being called a, uh, I don't know, like a Nancy or a Pansy because you're working with plants, and that really wasn't the thing to do. It's so strange yeah. now. I mean, I'm I not going to give away your age, but, but <laughs> uh, Michael and I, listeners, Michael and I are a similar age, so we were at school. Let's, let's put a broad marginal we're at school between some point between 1980 and the year 2000 how's yeah. that is that broad enough <laughs> i don't know if i'm that ashamed of my age <laughs> no okay well so yeah so i think well, i was at school 87 to 92 high school uh, i left in 96 so oh god i am yeah. much older than you then. yeah <laughs> Right, you can't see us, but I have like wickedly Brillo pad grey hair, and, and Michael really doesn't. Right, so so school, it's, it is wild that that. I mean, in my mind, nineteen ninety six is still recent, but gardening mm. was still something. That yeah, well, to be honest, being an individual wasn't supported. I remember, you know, when there was like the trendy jacket that everybody had to have. There was, it probably wasn't your time, but there was one called a naff-naff jacket that if you didn't have that, you weren't cool. And kind of there was always, yeah, so everybody had to be the same. And so if you were doing some sort of hobby that was kind of off the wall like that, and especially one that was seen as slightly feminine, then nah, you didn't want to let people know that. But regardless, I kind of laid low, went to high school, obviously had lots of fun with my best friend kind of on the side, started to garden a lot in my parents' garden and with my grandparents. And is, that, is that where the interest started? Yeah, think? it really came from my grandparents. So even, oh, some of my earliest memories are just in the garden, you know, taking cuttings, stamping on earwigs. Yeah, mm. Cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> she used to teach me this way of catching them in these, um, like, hay-filled pots, and then they drop out on the floor, and that's when you stamp them out and get rid of them. I'm still, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated by gardening. I mean, as soon as Michael came into the studio here, um, the, I've got a tree begonia which has gone berserk and that was the first thing we talked about oh, no. <laughs> but ju- just before I came out there's still a lot of gardening things that really surprise me yeah. just before I came out my daughter who's nine it's like oh you've been in the garden a while and so what are you doing she's like oh just drowning cotton caterpillars and I was like doing what? <laughs> Casual no, she, said, she said well there's lots on there's lots on the box and you know, yeah. they're, they're going to get box blight so oh I was just God. picking them off and I was like she's nine oh, and God. mind you I'm still upset when my wife puts plants that look okay to me in the brown bin yeah I'm like, what are you doing it looks fine she's like no no it's not it's gonna turn i don't need yeah, it anymore. i'd be I'm the like, same to be honest yeah. that's horrible <laughs> it looks so beautiful you're just chucking it anyway we're going, going off so school school was so school yeah not, not terrible not yeah not. but obviously i had this interest with my grandparents i was going with them most weeks to the wi market I actually became a WI member when I was, I don't know, 12 to years non- old. Non-ing- I don't know if it's outside the UK, WI. I'm Let's explain sure, to non-English people what it is. Yeah, WI stands for Women's Institute. And this is an organization that does lots of different activities for women. But they also have a market, which is, um, I, I assume, is still there on a Thursday in Ipswich. I, I don't know. And in various towns around the side. And yeah, it's it's great. You take your produce there, you sell it, you make money. I was 12 year old, you know, making all my own pocket money. So it was I, I fantastic, really. Any, anyone not in Britain, <laughs> not familiar, has probably seen the film Calendar Girls. And I think that's oh, yes, yes, yes. probably yeah. a fairly accurate representation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What, so, so you, what, what sort of things were you making and taking taking to sale? Um, lots of plants. So obviously taking cuttings, bringing them to sale. I was also being slightly savvy and also buying cheaper plants in some places and then selling those for bigger prices at, at the market. 12. Yeah, I was quite an entrepreneur even at that age, really. And I don't know where that really came from. But yeah, I was. I, my dad never gave me any pocket money. I think the first time he gave me some money was some, I think when I was 26 or something for a holiday. <laughs> wow. um, and it was just bizarre because I was earning all my own money. I didn't need it. Uh, speaking and, as someone who did a rural yeah. paper ground, I yeah. think I would have preferred to sell plants. <laughs> I think that, that sounds like a much nicer thing oh, to do. But it was pretty cool. And I, uh, this is really what kept my sanity, you know, at the weekends. But obviously this was a hobby I wasn't telling my friends about. Mm. Um, I started selling herbs through mail order as well. Right. And this is probably when I'm 14. And I remember putting adverts in the back of BBC Gardener's World magazine. <laughs> really? And selling these plants. And I had this, um, I can remember now, the, I've got some copies at home, the catalogue, 1997 edition, I think I've got at home, which is printed, you know, really, really craply on an old... <laughs> You know, not was even it word a processor. Catalog put together by you. Yeah, yeah. It was, well, it was kind of like a pile of twenty A four pages. That wasn't meant but... to sound like disbelief. Then <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was more kind of impressed at the kind of the ingenuity of it. I yeah. think. So this was my catalog, and I used to send that out to people that inquired. Then I'd send the orders out, and don't don't for a minute think this is big scale. I probably had thirty orders in the lifetime of the company, but it kind of gave me that kind of real eagerness to earn money and to know that you can earn your own money as well and to also be focused on making money out of plants which mm. is kind of sometimes shrewdly what I I would say I do now really you know it's kind of yeah I love plants but I also love making money out of them of course so it's, it's kind of the dream, <laughs> just the dream with a, with a lot of I, I don't I can't call plantsmanship a hobby really mm. I was going to say it's the same with a lot of hobbies kind mm. of the 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 great thing is finding a way to make a living from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So how about you did GCSEs, you then go on to A-levels? Um, no, so I did the GCSEs. I didn't really think ahead of what I could do afterwards because... You were rolling in cash. Well, no, not necessarily, <laughs> but I didn't feel... I wasn't that confident in those days. You know, I was a really, really shy boy. I wasn't, you know, obviously I didn't have many friends. I was just kind of had, you know, my plants. Um, so I wasn't really thinking oh i could go and do a levels or in sixth form it kind of just felt a bit socially impossible mm -hmm. really and that i it feels silly now but that probably held me back from a lot of stuff but it just so happens that everything turned out fine without that but so i kind of yeah i kissed away the chance of doing a levels for confidence i guess it's it's bizarre looking back yeah. that we we were able to leave school at 16. Mm. That, that that seems like a really strange thing now it's a, it's a rubbish young age to kind of mm. figure out when do they leave now then is it they, different? They, people kids have to stay in school to they're 18. Really? or have to stay in an, an educational thing ah, so they can do okay. an apprenticeship yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. but they can't you know i i went to rural high school mm. and you there was a significant number of kids. I went to Thomas Mills in Fram, mm -hmm. and sorry, Framlingham, <laughs> Suffolk boy, Fram. And it wasn't unusual for kids to leave on their 16th birthday. Mm. So in the last year, they'd leave, you know, this six, seven, eight months before mm -hmm. GCSE exams. So they just dump out. 
and they'd, they'd head off to it's such a cliche they'd head off to drive tractors yeah. and, and things yeah, like yeah, that yeah. so yeah so kids have to stay until they're 18 so uh-huh. so what did you do if you didn't do A-levels what was the next well I kind of went off to drive tractors did you really? <laughs> I got to the end of uh, the school year and the careers advisor um, there used to be this thing where they filled in information then it spat out this piece of paper oh, with God, suggestions yeah. yeah I had that and it was kind of like really predictable stuff so if if somebody tells you they're interested in plants and flowers, they'll say, oh, why don't you be a landscape gardener or why don't you be a florist? And those things didn't really interest me. I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew it wasn't that. Mm. So the most obvious next move was a national diploma in horticulture, which was then at Otley College. Yeah. And that is what I then did after school. But I was still painfully shy. But thankfully, our, our course, our class was only 12 people and we all made friends relatively quickly. And it was the first time I felt like I belonged. So that was very nice. But also it was a very enjoyable course for two it's, years. It is a real difference. I did mm. an, an BTEC ND as well. Mine was in, um, it doesn't matter. But I, I found the same thing, kind of at school, kind of hiding away from the dickheads mm. and sort of trying to, well, I was usually in trouble, but... <laughs> but, but not fitting in yeah, you know, yeah, really, yeah. very much yeah. that that dissociation yeah. whereas when you got to college the message was look if you don't like this you can just piss off and do something else yeah. and that does change the way i think everyone in the class reacts and people mm. just you just sort of seem to make better friendships i think you feel like a grown-up even though you're 16 yeah. you're like well i've chosen to be here now and this is what i'm gonna yeah. do so that really worked for me and it was it was really enjoyable it was a very mixed course so it had Everything from biology side, plant identification, all the way through to driving tractors, cool. sports turf class. A lot of those things I wasn't good at, actually, See, look, when, because I'm, I'm surprisingly not that practical. See, when, when I said, like, again, if you're not, if you're not from a rural community or not yeah. from Suffolk, when I said left school to drive tractors... That, that's in no way to mean. In fact, I think it's quite cool. <laughs> at, at my school, kids, there was a, bunch, a whole bunch of kids who didn't get into punch-ups over who was the, which was the best football team. They'd mm-hmm. get into punch-ups over what was the best brand of tractor. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there'd be literal fisticuffs at the back of classes. <laughs> Someone going, none of that case shit, you know, that, that rubbish, what you want is Massey <laughs> Ferguson. And they would literally come to blows over. Oh so tractors in this area, they are, they are yeah. not for messing. They're important. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I couldn't drive them, so <laughs> uh, so that didn't really come natural to me. But a lot of a lot of the stuff did, and we obviously did lots with plants and designs. We did a garden at Suffolk show. Cool. Um, kind of on the back of that, at the same time, I also started doing some work for a garden designer in Woodbridge, a guy called Paul Miles, who's now sadly died. But he introduced me to a lot of different uh, places. He used to take me to a lot of the gardens that he designed. I used to source plants for him as well. So very That's uh, specialist plant varieties. And yeah, it was it was really fun. And he introduced me to some amazing people as well. So when you said you used to source plants, how, how did you go about that? Did you just, you were saying that you used to sell your own from a catalogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously this is before the age mm. of being able to just fire up a bunch of websites and look. How did you yeah. source them? Did he tell you, Ooh. this is the exact plant I need? Yeah, 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 because he put together very specific garden designs. So it would be, you know, specific plants down to the variety. So it wouldn't be just any old iris. It would be iris Jane Phillips, for example. Okay. So, <coughs> oh, sorry. That's all right. So how did I find those? Because that is incredibly specific. Yeah, I had a fax machine. 
<laughs> I don't know why I had a fax machine. I also had a photocopier. I think I had an obsession with having my own mini office or something. It was really strange. It's playing, playing at grown-ups again. I know. It? But it's like this photocopier is probably the most expensive thing I bought while I was a teenager. I don't know why. Probably the size of a family car <laughs> as well. Yeah. They were oh. huge. Anyway, so that was, yeah. What did you ask me about photocopies for? No, I didn't. You, you, I? you just crowbarred <laughs> photocopies into the conversation. Oh, I, right. I, I went with it. How did I source the plants? There you go. Uh, RHS used to print a plant finder, which is a book, which is like a directory of where each plant is from. Okay. So that almost, if you can imagine, that was like Google, but in book form. <laughs> so you could find any plant you wanted. You could find the nursery. You could find where to buy it from. And I assume... Maybe I can't remember how I did it. I don't. I don't think I would have rung them up because I probably wouldn't have felt that confident. Maybe I sent them a fax and asked if they had the plants available. It just sounds like a massive task. It sounds like a. Re- so I you, guess you, you're so. doing this while you were at Otley yeah, College, just kind of on the side. And some stuff would be obviously sent by mail order, or it might be that I would, you know, drive to nurseries such as I remember going to Langthorne's Plantery at Dunmo quite a few times okay. for a lot of specialist plants. Wootton's at Weniston, Walled Garden. So yeah, it was it was fun though, and I loved the challenge of kind of narrowing it down and trying to get that exact plant that was needed for the plan. I've got to say, at that age, it does sound like a cool job to have. Yeah, I mean, kind of. A lot of jobs available around here at that age are industrial jobs or Mm -hmm. kind of there is honestly a job called a chicken chaser (laughs) and back when i was on the dole the only jobs that were ever available in woodbridge were chicken chaser jobs and there was no way i was going to be a chicken chaser so i think you you it sounds like you're already kind of forming this thing of being master of your own destiny i guess so but remember this was only a, a casual kind of evening and you know weekend job this wasn't anything necessarily official you know so i was just doing this work for him i was also helping with his filing uh doing some typing from time to time all alongside my college course mm-hmm. uh towards the end of college again i i wasn't i don't know if i'm still the same now but i never think that far ahead i prefer to kind of just wait see all the options be reactive you know i've never really you know if you ask me what what am i doing next year i wouldn't I don't have some master plan, but I think that makes you more agile in order to pick up the opportunities along the way that can become big. I don't believe in being too rigid with a plan. And I think that's part of my um, success is being changeable and agile. I think some people kind of feel a certain amount of security in in planning Mm. everything out. But I'm with you. I, I don't know the variables. So I don't, you know, I don't, what I mean is I don't know what's going to come. So yeah. I don't want to make things too structured because I'm terrified I'm missing out on Yeah, that, things. that's very much the same. Yeah. But I, like I say, that has really, it's done me well, really, over the years. So, so yeah, so I was getting to the end of college. I, did, I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't even think ahead. It was probably May, June. If you bear in mind, that's the end of college. I if I remember rightly, I probably left college without anything to go to, but somehow just didn't think ahead, wasn't really even worried about it. I knew I didn't want to go to university because, again, yeah, I'd found my nice group of college friends, but at the same time, I wasn't really confident in the outside world, so I wasn't really wanting to kind of, you know, do that social side of uni. So you've kind of had, had your bubble, which is a word that's been yeah, kind of co-opted yeah, yeah. recently, but no, you form a bubble, I think, as a young adult. You, yeah. you, you start, people you like and share common interests start to gravitate mm. towards you, don't they? Definitely. And at that age, I wouldn't have wanted to leave, not to say my house, but my hometown, for sure. I felt a bit more kind of 
yeah, kind of nervous to do that. But anyway, um, what happened? Local newspaper, Evening Star. Do you remember it? I think it's called the Ipswich Star. It's called Star the Ipswich now. Star 24 yeah. now, I think. They had a competition to design a garden, and that garden was set to be built at Thompson & Morgan, a very famous mail-order company who are based here in Ipswich, who I used to buy seeds from when I was 12 years old, running that nursery. And reselling them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I put a design together. Um, I had a little bit of advice from the garden designer guy that I worked with. He suggested filling it with all plants that were raised in Suffolk. So a lot of pinks, miniature carnations that are bred at Mendlesham near Stowmarket. Okay. Iris poppies that are bred at Benton End in Hadley. Mm -hmm. So it had that really nice kind of marketing twist to it. And I won the competition. Uh, what did I win? I think a greenhouse and some seeds. You won a greenhouse? Yeah, but that, well, that wasn't the biggest thing I won. Because a week later, I, I wrote in and asked for a job. And they gave me a job. Wow. So then I had a job and I started on the 6th of July, must be 1998. I've got to know and what you did with the greenhouse, though. Uh, did you just give it to your parents? It or? was at my parents' Well, my parents' garden was really my garden, to be honest. So it just <laughs> kind of went there. Yeah. And it's still there now in oh, the Dales. Wow. <laughs> definitely, definitely a good prize then. Yeah. It was a really good greenhouse, so actually. So Thompson yeah. Morgan gave you a job? Yeah. So I wrote in, because in those days you wrote letters, which mm -hmm. seems so archaic now. You didn't use your facts. I know. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and they replied, and there was a guy called Martin Frower, who was the horticultural manager. He brought me in for an interview. Remember, I'm still a painfully shy 18-year-old at this stage. And he kind of took a punt on me, and he could see that I had a natural interest in plants. He was sourcing new seed varieties for the catalogue, so it was very exciting to shadow shadow him on his work. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, I used to have a little in-trade, because in those days there, there was no email or any... We're going to come across... We're sounding like we're ancient But the here. thing is, I, I can't imagine now how we filled our time. It seems weird, because everything must have worked so much more slowly. I honestly can't so remember. Weird, yeah. And the, the, the thing that And to find out me, information must have been gruelling. We're not talking about 200 years ago. No! <laughs> yeah, we're talking, well, tw less than... Well, sort of 20 years ago. Yeah. It's not that long ago. Yeah. Mad. Um, so anyway, I, I remember this. Like I always used to keep an eye on in of his out tray as well because he would give me projects to work on. So it would be like, oh, he's seen an article about blue amaryllis. Can you try and track this down? Um, there would be like a book that he'd seen. And I then had to order it, so I then might need to send a fax to America or all of this kind of like cute officey stuff, but with a nice plant taste mm. to it all. And so I was doing that. We started to go on different trips. I remember we used to follow up on a lot of new customer varieties in those days. So it would be a customer would call us up and say, I've got this poppy that has fringed petals and that's not normal. What, what do you think is something different? And then we would ask for a picture and then potentially we would go and then bring the poppy and then really? produce it. And the customer would then get a certain amount of money per packet that was sold. Wow, and I had a lot no of, idea. Yeah, That's a lot of new introductions were brought in that way. We drove all the way to London once to get a black-flowered delphinium. Um, I flew to Scotland, Glasgow, when I was just 18. I wow. think it was my first task <laughs> to collect a star-shaped petunia. So that That's, was it. just wild. <clears throat> but the thing is, it all... It always felt so wild and extravagant, but it was. If you've even, got, even now, looking but at the back, end of the was. day, if you've got a brand new variety and it costs you, 
you know, a thousand pounds for the trip to get it. What you make back in the long run is it's worth that. So mm. we really took the risk on these varieties, bringing them back, and it was it was really exciting. Yeah, and I started to put together a lot of the copy for the catalogs to write the back of the seed packets. Um, started to be involved in the breeding program. Did a little bit of practical breeding from time to time, just for kind of you know practice, just kind of you know job swap in different apartments, that sort of style. And yeah, really loved it. Uh, really got on well with my boss, Martin, uh, went on my first overseas trip, had to get a passport for it. Wow. Never been abroad before at 18 years old and went on this first trip to Holland, which is uh, an actual specific place that I've just been back to three weeks ago. So it was really nice to go the back same there. Place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down in the south where we used to visit the field trials and look for, for new varieties again and drive around lots of crop fields looking at you know, what was different that we could list in the catalogue. So. Just just for listeners mm. who, who aren't familiar with where we are, I'm recording, we're recording this on the 18th of August 2020, and we're in Ipswich. And as the crow flies, Holland is closer to us than London. Yeah. And yeah, London yeah. is only, what, 80, yeah. 90 miles. So Holland is very close, but not very easy to get to. I've got no idea why the ferry takes like 10 hours. Yeah, true. There used to be a fast ferry that was four hours. Cool. From Harwich, but now it is the overnight one. But gone yeah. off. So, so you. But you know, the ferry's great. You go to sleep. You wake up in Holland. What more could love you it. want? Yes, great. So, so you're at Thompson Morgan. Did your role? How did your role develop there? Yeah. Well, this um, this guy Martin, he actually left after about a year and a half. He got a directorship at Unwin Seeds, which is uh, like the big rivals. Yeah, yeah, it really was. And so I then was given a lot of his work. And I was working under the the main kind of developer in the company, a guy called Keith Sangster, who also ran the breeding site. And I was kind of learning from him, really. And I remember putting together my first catalogue, which I think was 1999, and bringing in, sourcing the product, kind of making sure there was good photography, putting the copy together. When it's, it's quite a skill to write good copy for a catalogue well, as well. And I was speaking to a copywriter. Yeah, so. <laughs> and I was taught all this stuff, you know, you know, from the people around me. And it was just, it was like a dream job. Amazing. I've got to say, for someone with an interest, more than mm. an interest, an obsession with horticulture, that, mm. that is, you kind of fell on your feet quite nicely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. the key thing is, just to kind of keep this roughly on topic for this podcast, it was something you did that made that. It was entering that competition. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the way along, I was kind of just pushing myself to do these different things and different projects. There's one guy that I really thank for it, though, and this was um, the company also had a kind of side of the business that was young plants. So mm -hmm. the main plant side of the business that has now become the dominant side of the business there. And a guy called Paul Hansord, I was working very closely with him and started to put together some of the more specialist catalogs. So clematis catalog, geranium catalog, fuchsia catalog, etc. So I was doing lots of traveling, hunting down these new varieties, bringing it in, looking at the marketing, kind of getting it all getting it all ready to go. And it was really, really fun. Yeah, and there was this whole yearly cycle of the different visits you'd make, what you'd then choose. I was also running the trials where we trialed about a thousand different plants wow. every year too. But I remember each time there was something new. So it was like, oh, we want you to put some specialist catalogs together. Da, da, da. And I'd be like, oh, no, I'm not sure. Nah. And it was this guy, Paul Hansel, that was like, you can do that, you know. <laughs> and I remember um, I was putting, uh, he wanted me to work on the videos. Not in front of the camera, but behind the camera. We used to create a video catalog. 
How, what, what sort of time period is this? Probably 2000. Yeah. Oh, that's fairly ahead of its time. Yeah, oh, it really was. It used to be on an actual video that they would send as if it was a catalogue so you could then watch tape. the presentation. <laughs> it really was pioneering. And it was like a really relaxed, lovely programme. It wasn't like a shopping TV you know, edition. It mm. was really... I need to watch them back. Have actually. you still got some of those tapes? I've got some DVDs somewhere. But where do you play DVDs these days? Well, quite, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So he pushed me to get involved with that. I was like, oh, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he was like, no, you can, you can. And I did it. And, and it was almost like his... Like, obviously, this guy Martin had left pretty quickly. So it wasn't until I was then under this guy Paul's wing that I kind of... He's the guy that really encouraged me to just always say yes to everything and to say yes, you know, even before someone's finished asking you. And, <laughs> and even to this day, I say yes to stuff far too quickly. Mm. But that's not a bad thing, because if you can't do it, you kind of work out how you can do it. And that is really nice. Well, and that feeling learn, afterwards is like, whoa, you really pushed yourself. You were kind of like, yeah. So there are many occasions where I'm just sat in a dark room, just kind of swearing at myself. Why did you say yes to this? But then you, you do it. You Why can do it. Why a dark room? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sound really ominous. But I've really, yeah, I really thank this guy, Paul, for pushing me and believing in myself. And I kind of, and I'm very intolerant with myself now. Like I don't like to say no to anything because I believe anything you know, is possible within, you know, within time constraints. But yeah, so that kind of happened and it was great. Yeah. Okay. So Thompson Morgan, how, mm. long, how long were you there? Because you're, you're not there now. Yeah. So it was 18 years. 18 years. Yeah. But it wasn't until perhaps the latter years, almost the last five years that I then started to do a bit of the t TV and the media work. Mm -hmm. Because remember, we're talking when I joined Thompson Morgan, 18 year old shy boy, not confident to do anything, blah, blah, blah. And somewhere in the middle, I kind of gained a confidence, maybe from this kind of encouragement from the staff around me, etc. Just age as well yeah. really helps. And yeah, and again, this guy, Paul, he pushed me and said, oh, you should go and sell these products on QVC. You know about them so well. You introduced them. Why Why couldn't you do that? And okay, so, so I was like, no, I can't do that. Just, just for, for kind of <laughs> listeners outside the from outside the UK, QVC is... I'm right thinking they were kind of the first shopping channel, weren't they? Oh, I think HSN in US was, but QVC was shortly after, I believe. Are they? they did they mm. start in America? Yes. I always assumed QVC was in British for some reason. No, there's uh, US, there's uh, UK, Germany, Italy, Spain. I'm not sure if they're still around. Uh, China, Japan. Wow. Yeah, so okay, so you regions. went from from shy 18 year old Michael putting together yeah. catalogues and things to yeah. being thrust into. Well, television studios, I guess. Well, yeah, so I was so nervous, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this, blah, blah, blah. But then with that sort of thing, yeah, of course you're nervous, but then you just get on with it, and there's a point where you then sit there, you look back, you're like, oh, my gosh, I've been doing this for ages. I mm. quite like it. I'm quite good at it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so that is how that started, and because I was also introducing a lot of the new plants, I was often the person that the PR people came to for more information, and when we bought a yellow flowered snowdrop off eBay for £700, it was mostly for PR, um, 
the Alan Titchmarsh show rang us up and wanted somebody to go on and talk about this big purchase. Right. And we had a big purchase in our history as well with a black hyacinth, which we developed uh, with a company in Holland, and the initial investment was £150,000. Wow. So they wanted me to go onto the show, talk about this yellow snowdrop and the black hyacinth, and I had samples to go with, and I was kind of like... <gasps> <laughs> so nervous and I watched the clip now and this is my first TV appearance and like anybody else probably wouldn't notice it but I can see I'm so nervous is this live television yeah 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 wow do you know what I never because I'm very used to live television now I kind of almost don't notice that these things were live but yeah well live TV again yeah. without wishing to again make us sound like we're ancient live TV was a big deal Mm. When, certainly when we were kids but I guess it's what I was used to it was the first stuff that I was pushed into mm. so to me that was TV you know okay so yeah it was safe to say you got a taste for it not initially I would say it was just when it then came up at various times so when we introduced the egg and chips plant we um we took some samples down to the one show we were on the one show in a non-speaking role <laughs> <laughs> showing the reveal of the plants uh which other shows I was called up to do BBC Great Great British Garden Revival, I think it was called. Okay. Uh, a special episode about bedding plants, and I helped put that together as well. And it's really fun because it's with Christine Walkton, who I, I think you probably know, gardening personality. Oh, possibly. You <laughs> should know. I should know. Um, and we set up a conveyor belt, so it was like generation game with new plants going past all the time. And I explained them really quickly as they went past. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool clip. Have to show it to you. Uh, and that happened as well. And I was obviously then doing more of QVC on the side as that went along. Uh, they then sent me to Germany to do QVC as well. And I was dubbed over with a German sexy voice. <laughs> uh, also in Italy, I was dubbed over in Italy as well. So, yeah, I was starting to do a lot of different kind of TV stuff and then started social media and sort of that sort of slowly started to give a presence really so is this st while you're still working for thompson thompson and morgan yeah so probably yeah this is probably my final four years there i would okay. say because facebook was starting to become a thing um it was a good way to signpost people to what i was doing so mm -hmm. what i was selling on qvc kind of messages i wanted to talk about always it's funny because companies have always got a funny relationship with any individual that works for them that have a presence haven't they mm. So kind of they were really sort of, yeah, not always so keen, but knew they couldn't stop me because it was then benefiting them in the long they'd, run. They'd make so, money from but it's always such it. a weird connection with that sort of thing. And I think kind of from what I've heard since, they've kind of realized that kind of, no, you, you need to encourage people in that way anyway. But regardless, I, I carried on and I was building a nice social media profile. I guess I guess the end of that company worries you'll become bigger and you want to leave. Hmm. So that's what happened, obviously. But <laughs> yeah, and what happened? Um, I started a website, I think initially to do some coverage for a charity trek that I did in Costa Rica. To okay. put a diary up about that. Uh, yeah, and it just developed from there, really. And the website now has become really big. And after lockdown, we've had like many, many visitors per day. It's really, really cool. Um, yeah, and I just sort of built all of that up. And then eventually, I enjoyed my job, don't get me wrong. But with, you know, that kind of yearly cycle of introducing new products, it was kind of like, I was really looking for a bit more of a mixed portfolio of work. Well, if you'd been through that cycle 18 times. Yeah, as fun as it is. Yeah. And also, I think when a company gets bigger and more complex, it's harder to 
kind of make the things happen that you want and need to. Mm -hmm. So like when, you know, when I was there doing the 1999 catalog, that was, you know, I was selecting the product, putting it in, it was being listed, but there was a lot more hoops to go through in later years, which it's a shame because I understand, but it also inhibits the company as well. So yeah, and I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, what did I do then? So I slowly felt more confident to do some stuff on the side. I was working with a new app called Garden Tags. Yeah, I know yep, Garden Tags, which yeah. you remember. Also started doing some consultancy work with Seedball, I think it was, and kind of generally feeling the ground and knowing that I could get other work because you've got to remember, I was in a very developmental role and the notice period was six months. Six months? Six wow. months. That's quite crippling and difficult. So, yeah, so I kind of like did that. And actually, I have to say, the person that inspired me to actually kind of, you know, not throw in the towel, that sounds really negative, but to finally, you know, make that move into freelance was actually my partner, Rafael, who I've mentioned to you from time to time, who we've been together about five years now. And we initially met when he was living in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And he's from Poland. He then lived in China for two years. He'd moved to Amsterdam. I kind of looked at that and I was like, oh, that's really how I want to be. Kind of this like carefree kind of to move anywhere and just throw yourself into a different life and I'd had 18 years of comfort and not really felt to do that and I think seeing how he'd done it really inspired me see that this yeah. is the, the big brave thing this mm. is the thing that the well the f first reason I want to come to speech is just because you know we, we know mm. each other and <laughs> generally quite entertaining when we get to talk but that that decision to, to mm. kind of get, move from the safe paycheck the safe thing yeah. so you were inspired Inspired by seeing somebody else who'd made it happen. I think so, yeah. And I guess a lot of other stuff had fallen into place that made that happen. So obviously, I felt more confident in myself. I'd kind of found uh, fatigue with the role that I was doing. But also, I knew side roles were happening. I knew there was other stuff out there and mm. people that would be interested in me if I was to leave. Yeah. And I'd had some early conversations with Sutton's who were a rival as well. And so there was a lot of stuff that could then happen. So that was really nice. Um, so it wasn't quite, you weren't quite kind of just looking at a complete blank nothingness. No, not at all. And to be end. honest, not to be boastful, but I never have, you know. I, but I think that's perception a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, maybe. I know, yeah. I know, obviously, I, I know your career and I know you've stayed busy. Yeah. But I think a lot of people either see the opportunities, whether they've taken them or yeah. whether they, they've fully formed and fleshed them out. And some people just don't. Yeah. I think almost anyone can leave a job they hate and find something to do. Mm -hmm. It's you know, I think it's perception. You're kind of being very blasé about there being opportunity, but yeah. you know, it's it's how you see it. It is also a positive attitude as well, and the way that you behave too. Because I would say, you know, moving on to like freelance world, how it's gone for me is I get called back for work because I fundamentally do what I say I do, mm. do it well do it on time, turn up for a meeting on time. All of this stuff is really simple, but many people get that wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Many people would be like, oh, can I give it to you tomorrow? Or, oh, sorry, I'm 10 minutes late. It's like, no. No, I've, <laughs> I've known some people see being freelance, which is yeah. essentially what you are. Mm. You kind of have a- You've still got to be reliable. This sort of portfolio career, mm. I think it's safe to mm. say. And I think people see being freelance as an excuse to get out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning and do things when you want. I think the reality mm. of being freelance, which has come up several times during these podcast episodes, is that you're actually under 
more obligation to perform. Oh, yeah. You don't get appraisals. You don't get kind of ticked off by the boss. But if you don't perform, it's much, much easier it's down for that to you, phone yeah. not to ring. Which is so much her- harder, but there's so much more thrill to that as well. <laughs> there really is. Um, yeah, and it's but it's so fundamental. Just be reliable. And that is where so many people go wrong. And I'm just... And I'm convinced that's why I get asked back to do stuff. And also, not just asked back to do stuff, but recommended to do other stuff as well. Mm. And it's been, oh, I've been freelance for maybe four and a half years. Is that all? Because I've, I've only sort yeah. of, I think I only got to know you once you'd started being freelance. Yeah. And yeah. I was, oh, at what point did I, because first of all, everything, everything was a bit kind of messy. And I was, I had a website called Plant Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, which you'll remember. I also had a, Twitter profile, which was gardening Greek, but then I was something different on Instagram or blah blah blah. And I remember sitting with my partner Rafael in um in the apartment in New York one night, trying to decide what the brand could be. And of course, what what's the time? Sorry, there is a relevance to New York <laughs> because we were obviously in quite at the time when we were working it out was in a different time zone to UK, so I then could change all the profiles without anybody seeing necessarily yeah and then emerged the next day as mr plunky ah. so that's kind of roughly what happened and it just kind of summed it up really and it made it clean and yeah and uh Rafael helped with a logo and it just became something a bit more tangible really it's certainly by the time that, that i became aware of the brand mm. it, you had something you could you could hang a hat on yeah it was it was, it was yeah. a thing but it's something that people recognize you for so if i meet people in real life you know at a trade show that follow me online they're kind of like oh mr blanky it's, it's like so if my name was just you know john smith they wouldn't be oh it's john smith it's, it's <laughs> really know. really important yeah. i i um well obviously i'm i'm doing this podcast as Andrew Culture, and that's not my real name. Mm. But the reason it exists is because of personal branding. And Mm. it's always been a personal brand that I've used for well over 20 years. Mm. And people who know me through through my other work, um, I run a digital marketing agency, SEO agency called Andrew Law's Associates. And people who know me through that, when they see me post a lot of the social uh, personal branding things, say Mm. on Facebook or whatever, they rib it mercilessly. They they really rip me to pieces really? over it. Well, because I'll I'll if I if I'm interviewed for someone's podcast, mm. I I will naturally put it on my Facebook wall because mm. that that's you know it's the way it all works. We all help each other oh, but out. Are these your friends thing. that are ripping you? Or no, like no. sometimes it's professional. Con- no, no one uh-huh. who's a direct client yeah. of mine. But uh-huh. um, and they're like, oh, you know, you're kind of showing off again, are you? And, oh, and I, I hate that attitude. I never defend it because <laughs> yeah. For one thing, I've never understood why showing off was a bad thing. Well, do you why, know what? That I've been shown off for four and a half years and it's done me all right. <laughs> well, I think this is what you have to do. Yeah, no matter you what you do. Because that's your freelance. shop window. Yeah. Social media is your shop window. And I've never been ashamed to show what I'm up to, what I'm doing, what announcements there are. You'll have a small amount of people that are then tinged with jealousy. But you'll say, usually find jealousy. out. You'll usually find out that they're your closer friends. So almost... <laughs> I've done this a couple of times. It's worth blocking your friends from those social media profiles because... Oh, really? I'd never thought of that. Because, I know it sounds really silly, but you're there to do business, you know. So I, for many years, I never used my personal Facebook, you know, for any business stuff because this, this kind is, of personal side. This is blah, why blah. I had Andrew yeah. Laws and Andrew mm. Culture. It was a clear separation between the two. Yeah, but... Yeah, I would say, yeah, just block anyone that gives you hassle. You just got to block them because what have they got to say? I've, I've, like, got, to, I've got to do it sometimes because sometimes I'll post something and and over the last 
six months or so, I've just completely merged the two things. Mm. There is now, I realised that whoever I'm going to work with, they have to know me rather than know know this kind of brand I've developed. But yeah, I'm going to have to start blocking it because sometimes you'll I'll post something and one of like one of your good friends will like, <laughs> like just start really? kind of ton, tons of abuse or like bants as they might call it. That's and I'm weird, looking at it, it thinking, yeah. and and it's you know I'm not saying anyone's being mean, but yeah. I, I do look at it and think I oh, just don't do that because I'm tr- uh, there are people here who might actually hire me for work. Yeah. And whilst you're going to your job somewhere and you're fairly safe unless you burn the place down or something, yeah. if this sort of thing starts to carry on, I. I could end up not having any food mm. or any money to And you've pay said that mortgage. to them? Or? No, I haven't. Not, not <laughs> I quite do. at that stage. I but I should, but I think yeah. the idea of putting posting stuff publicly but blocking your friends, I think mm. that's actually quite an interesting concept. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because you're not there to advertise to them and they don't want you to advertise no, to them. So there you go, doing. perfect solution, you know. <laughs> Whether you tell them beforehand or not is another issue, but yeah. <laughs> that's that's a, pr- a pretty good bit of advice. Yeah. Um, well, we've talked much longer than I, I meant to, but it's been oh, enjoyable, it's really cool, Michael. though. And I think um, it's kind of... Michael also works with Jen, who who's one of my colleagues as well. And whenever I kind of want to get hold of Michael for whatever reason, I always have to ask which country you're in. <laughs> so so what, what have you got planned? Obviously... COVID has kind of chucked a spanner in the works with a lot of things, but what have you got planned for the rest of the year? Uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, okay. <laughs> no, I said, I said to you earlier, I never, I never plan ahead that much. I just kind of roll with stuff as it happens because I believe it's better to be reactive in that mm-hmm. way. So I know that there is, I tend to organise my diary perhaps two months in advance. I know there probably aren't any QVC shows much to the end of the year, but I have got a really nice, um, what would you call it? That dirty word, influencer. Influencer project with uh, Rouse, honey. Okay. Which is really interesting and... um, nice amount of money as well <laughs> okay look you're, you're being yeah. you're being apologetic so i know i know i don't think that's you a really need english to be. thing isn't it it but. is and you you've made this mm. happen we yeah. were talking kind of before i hit record about kind of some some grief that you can come under not mm. i don't mean you i don't mean listeners i'm not saying michael i'm saying me i'm saying anyone who does start to gain some some a following or, mm. or piques people interest yeah, yeah. is that people can get really snippy about it and the reality mm. is no one stumbles and falls into yeah, any, so, any sort of profile you make this you make this as yeah. much as if you start working in I don't want to make it sound like I'm crapping on any other career at all but if you went to go start working at the bank mm-hmm. and you decided that yeah I'm working at the lowest level now by the time I'm 40 I want to run this bank mm. if you worked your way through that you will have done it yourself absolutely through hard work and if you became the bank manager I think your friends probably and other people probably wouldn't piss on you so much. Mm. That's all we're doing with personal yeah, branding. Yeah. We are working yeah. hard yeah, yeah, yeah. to keep ourselves in work. Yeah, and true. I think should be shown some damn respect, frankly. Yeah, just block the friends. That's it. <laughs> so that, that kind of wasn't that sort of turned in. I'm apologising now. That turned into. <laughs> I find I find it frustrating uh, though because we're not. It's not even an ego thing. It's mm. it's look. This is how I keep. This is how I yeah, stay in work. Yeah, it, it is it's worth a short paragraph on knowing your worth as well because it takes a while to realize what you can charge and it's it's hard sometimes because you don't want to be you don't want someone to be like oh my god that's far too much but you will have that from time to time but you've got to obviously cover your costs and know what you're worth with you know your fees and stuff and sometimes it will 
you'll send an email and you almost like close your eyes and press send because you're like, no, that sounds like too much. Do you you feel guilty when you say how much money you want? (laughs) I don't feel guilty, but my motive is I want them to say yes. Mm. So I don't want them to say yes too quickly if I'm too cheap. Or I don't want them to say no. <laughs> One of the best bits of advice I got is from a friend called Mark, uh, Max Shelley, who may, may or may not listen to this. He said, you should get turned down one out of three times for being too expensive. Mm. And I think that is pretty good advice, yeah, actually. that's cool. But do you know what? Also, something else. I never dwell on any turn downs or mm-hmm. kind of when someone says no. I think I do that by keeping myself really full so there's always lots going on. There's always lots of projects on. So if something drops off or someone says no, you're not sitting around mourning that. You've kind of got enough that is then not sustaining you, but just kind of keeping you well, this, interested this, and stimulated this and is not one of the things negative. That, no, this is one of the things that I think makes me feel more secure as a freelancer. Because mm. I have friends who kind of say, oh, you know, I wish I could be freelance, mm. but you know, no, it would be too scary not, not to have that income. And my response is always, you could be made redundant, and then it's yeah. all gone. Temporarily, but because you know other stuff's a out. A lot there. of friends that I've had that were made redundant, it was often the best blessing they had. I think Because ev- then it forces them to Everybody I know who's been yeah. redundant. And we're, we're kids... Um, yeah, we were kids of the... Well, I was a kids of the 80s. Now I've found out how much older I am than <laughs> you. But yeah, we I've I've lived through five, six, possibly seven recessions now. Really? Yeah. Well, for, I, yeah, I was born in the mid-70s. Yeah, so wow. I've been around. And I'm now in the situation where when I was a kid, it was really unusual if someone you knew had been made redundant. Mm. It was almost freakish, you know, mm. like like a rumour would spread around the village or the town <laughs> or whatever. Now I'm hard pushed to think of, I'd say at least 50% of my yeah. friends have been made redundant. And it is almost overwhelmingly positive. It's yeah. very, well, very, very rare. It sets you free. And it's likely the person chosen to be made redundant is someone that didn't fit into the role anyway, mm-hmm. perhaps. I know there's a lot of different reasons, but yeah, I think it's really a good thing. Yeah. It is, and, and neither of us are being flippant. I've been made redundant, mm. and th- that was how I first was how I got my first I job haven't, the but sometimes I wished I had, because then I wouldn't have six months notice period. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say 18 years, that is a significant amount yeah. of time to kind oh, of yeah. stick at a job, but jobs are good. I'm not just sort of, I'm not yeah. saying no one should be but an it employee. Was, it was because I enjoyed it, you know, that was the bottom line. And yeah. because... I was doing something that was my hobby as well as my career, and I know not everyone's lucky enough to have that, but yeah. Everybody can have I, that. Yeah, true. I can't true. think of many hobbies yeah. or passions that you that you couldn't turn into. But the bottom line also Amateur is... Amateur surgery? I don't know. <laughs> but the bottom line also is, I don't know what else I could do. <laughs> I don't know what else I'm good at. <laughs> See, you know, it's, it's really straightforward for me. I, I'm a musician... Uh. And the way of the world is, I'm not going to make enough money as a musician yeah. to get by, but I also love the whole geekery of, of SEO and, and digital marketing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy mm. kind of doing this. But no, I think a lot of people, there's always a way. There really is. And yeah. I think, you know, you're, you're proof of that. And I've been freelance for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And I say literally, shit, if I can do it. And, you know, I, I don't like to dwell too much on it, but I've, I left school with nothing. Um, was uh, to be fair was a squandered opportunity I, I, I'm not I'm not proud mm-hmm. of that fact but you can make things oh, Ev- yeah. everyone has yeah, the ability yeah. to make things make things you know make your own life 
It's a game. Yeah. You're not going to get to the end and get a scorecard and someone saying, oh, oh you should have you stayed in. <laughs> I think I don't. I wouldn't want to be on my deathbed and go, do you know what? I, I wish I'd got a job at the council. And yeah. No, again, I'm not, my, not, my whole family's worked at the council. I'm not <laughs> crapping on them. But, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I don't think I'm ever going to If you block regret. your friends, they won't know the podcast's out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll be all right. <laughs> That's that's you're showing your kind of um, presenter kind of chops there by coming back round to something that was popular, right, Michael? I'm going to have to wrap it up. I think I think this could kind of roll on forever. So, I know your brands, I know your websites. Can you tell the listeners, please? Yeah, sure. So if you hop on mrplantgeek.com, you'll see all the links to my social media as well, and yeah, you can also subscribe to a mailing list. So cool. All sorts of stuff going on there, and there's interesting articles kind of nice perennial articles as well um giving you plant advice and giving you lots of inspiration i can personally recommend something of a i don't want to be i'm gonna slightly unkindly call it a sideshow but one of michael's brands is rude botany oh yeah didn't even talk about these different brands well to be fair you point people at your prime you know goes with my work head on for a minute you point people at your primary brand and they find others after that but but rude botany if nothing else make sure you look up rude botany is is well worth it part of my obsession of getting people from different demographics in and you get them in through humor and things that look like penises there you go (laughs) (laughs) common ground There you go. Right, okay. So thank you ever so much, Michael. I really thank appreciate you. your time. And uh, <laughs> next time you're in Europe <laughs> or somewhere nearby, I think I'll probably have to get you back on. So okay, awesome. I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to say goodbye now. Would you like to say goodbye? Bye. So what do you think? Do you like it? I hope so. This is the kind of bit that you might be able to tell I just use the same bit every time because, well, it's not so much lazy as efficient, but this is the bit where I say smash the like button or stab at it or just stroke it gently. Be nice. Yeah, why would you be so aggressive? But please like, please subscribe and please rank, rate, tell everyone this. These kind of things, I assume they matter. Everyone else says them. But there you go. So endeth this episode of the Andrew Culture Podcast. If you want to know more about what I get up to, go have a look at andrewculture.com because I won't bore you with it here. Anyway, until the next time, keep it cool, stand in a dry place, um, or do what you want. I'm not your boss. Bye.